0: Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins.
1: Alright, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello! And also Music Video Sins writer Barrett Sher. Howdy. Alright, guys. 1978. is over until we decide it is mm-hmm. 1978 it is a year it was it was a year not so filled with very many great movies
2: <laughs> it's <laughs> funny when we did the last podcast we were complaining about doing 77 because it had so few good movies that barrett even asked maybe we should just skip 77 and <laughs> yeah. go on to 78 now that we're here at 78 it's not any better <laughs> yeah yeah
1: what happened i think really there was a star wars effect right because yeah. Well, I mean, Star Wars effect didn't really happen in 77 in as much as it happened to everything that happened after that. But uh, And I'll just go ahead and say, if you guys ever want to read like an, uh, an awesome history of movies, uh, read um, Easy Rider's Raging Bulls, which talks about this effect of how Jaws and Star Wars sort of affected movies after that and everything. 1978, I don't know. It, it might be excused for it, but you would think that all those movies were in production before the big Star yeah. Wars whatever. Okay, so what we have here is like a few like good movies and some there's like a couple that people might consider great here. But there's one, one huge one here that everybody there everybody know considers great and I do not. And that is The Deer Hunter. Mm. (laughs) This will not be We will not repeat the Academy's mistake here Making that movie the best picture of 1978
2: Well I can tell you you're right Because I am also one of the few that does not like The Deer Hunter
1: (laughs) Um, I I really feel like The Deer Hunter Is one of those movies that people look fondly back on Because it has that one intense scene Mm -hmm. With Walken and De Niro And that's it, that's about it Like everything else in it is just Boring bullshit (laughs) I've seen that, I've seen it four times at least, trying to get back, you know, like, man, the first time, maybe I was just in a bad mood or something, or whatever, maybe I'm being a dick, I watched it again, and I'm like, man, this movie, what is it, what is it, why do people love this movie, I don't like it at all, Um, anyway, 1978, the Deer Hunter won Best Picture, Mm -hmm. we had, this was the year of Superman, yes it Mm -hmm. was, Mm mm-hmm, Um, what else, guys? Do you have any? Well, one
2: of your very favorite movies, uh, Mm -hmm. Halloween. Yes, Halloween. Yes. Which I've heard you cite on this podcast as probably your favorite horror movie. Yep, yep. Um,. We also had, I believe, the third Bad News Bears movie came out. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. This time in Japan. It's a.
1: It was a memorable moment when they
2: went to Japan. <laughs> um, but no, we uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is '78. Right? Oh yes, 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 and
1: it uh, has one of the most horrifying images that uh, Barrett was talking to about us earlier uh, earlier today. The Donald Sutherland pointing. <gasps> scene which you will see in almost every clip of scary movie clips um you know that's a professional actor right there that can make something that ridiculous
0: into something whoa like i'm i'm actually frightened yeah i was mentioning just a second ago that it's a creepy year it was a really creepy year very much so yeah you, you get halloween the deer hunter is atmospherically creepy uh, Midnight Express is creepy oh, yeah. on a whole yeah, different yeah. level. <laughs> In, invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my, I'm going to go ahead and say my pick, is Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That is, I yes, it's a horror movie, but I, I don't look at it as a horror movie really at all. It's a satire, it's a, yeah. it's a commentary, it's a social piece of art or something like that uh, that was so good that it was actually remade into also a pretty good movie. In 2004. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. That was basically just updated, and uh, I love that stuff. For, part of it is that I just have this fascination with shopping malls mm. and putting a zombie uh, horde on the outside, and then the fact that you can build almost a society within the confines of a shopping mall is very interesting to me. And you know the the ethos of the consumerism and the the dynamic between the 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 people which continued the whole racial tension that uh, started in um, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, I just think it's top to bottom, it's a terrific and had a great ending too. By the way, as an
1: aside, the remake was Zack Snyder. <laughs> yes, it was, and was written by James Gunn. You have one wow. guy who eventually became a huge uh, Disney Marvel guy, yeah. and then another guy who became a huge DC guy, ah. and they combined together to make a really like one of the few great remakes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you were mentioning 1978's a creepy ass year. Mm-hmm. It, okay, so Animal House came out. That's one of the most that's as influential as it gets as far as comedies are concerned. It it ushered in all that frat boy mm. mentality stuff and of course as we discussed before has like crimes actually and actual <laughs> crimes they just uh, peep in on the the ladies in the uh, from the ladder and then but it's also the year of i spit on your grave which is one of the most oh. disturbing movies i have ever seen oh, Yeah, um, it has it has like an awful beginning like you just like uh, you love the revenge but the, mm. but you have to sit through the <sighs> beginning of that movie that's just uh, it it is it is the worst thing I've seen, and maybe one of the worst things I've ever seen. On yeah. Um. Then uh, you have Pretty Baby, which had an underage Brooke Shields. Oh, doing yeah. nude scenes. Oh my god. How in the world did they get away with that movie? It was the seventies, oh, wow. is why. It's seven. <laughs> like, they didn't care about that. That's why. Um. Uh. It, what a oh my god! I mean, how in the world was that movie made? Uh, even a movie like Watership Down mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I used to watch all the time that's a scary ass movie for yeah. kids yeah but it, it I wish they would make movies like I wish they'd make cartoons like that oh yeah yeah, yeah. These, these days mm-hmm. those movies that aren't afraid to like but see now children are precious at this point <laughs> you just can't you can't you can't show them a watership down anymore they're not they're not old enough. Even though I watched it when I was seven, and I turned out okay, I think. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, 78, creepy year, and uh, anyway, what else? Do you have anything else? Uh,
2: Greece came out. Yes, right. Greece came out, okay. And, uh, you know, as far as, you know, if we, if we were going to at least discuss cultural impact and relevance, mm-hmm. um, that had a pretty huge impact. Oh, yeah. And yeah, like yeah. we were talking about, in, in another podcast, I think, we were talking about how... Um, Saturday Night Fever sort of defined what disco looked like, right? I mm-hmm. think Greece defined what the '50s looked like to people like me in yeah. the '80s. You yeah, had no idea what the '50s really looked like. I think Greece, poodle skirts, <laughs> you know those cars <laughs> that they race and the, the hair. Snacks.
1: Well, and I'm sorry, this this theme keeps coming up. The Summer Lovin' song adds to this <laughs> this craziness that's in 1978. Summer Lovin' is not like the nicest of songs. <laughs> <laughs> It's, 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 so, it's sung happily. It's a yeah. little assaulty. It's, it's a little assaulty. Yeah. It's kind of like
2: Every Breath You Take. Where yeah, yeah, You, know, yeah, like yeah, you yeah, think yeah. it's a good song? Right, because, something really creepy. Well, he going
1: said on. it sounds nice. It doesn't sound like he's stalking her. <laughs> he probably deserves to have her. Blah, blah, blah. blah. But yeah, yeah Grease is a really. Yeah, I love Grease, though. I mean, despite that little bit of thing.
0: Man, that is a very rewatchable. Well, as evidenced by the, the Fox Live thing from a couple of months ago, like, that is such a relatable story and didn't you
2: call it your favorite musical it it is the best musical
0: uh, on film of all time and it's enduring as far as the the music itself the performances i'm going to talk about john travolta in every podcast from this point forward. (laughs) he's the new kenneth branham basically and uh his his performance man it inspired so many uh halloween costumes like if you are if you're a a husband and a wife or boyfriend and girlfriend and you're out of ideas, you can always go as John Travolta and Olivia Newton, John from Greece, just throw on some, some black jeans and a jacket and uh some tight pants for for the girl and that's it it. you're fine
2: yeah yeah you're you're all set i was also looking
0: at this
1: this seems like the year of like tarantino's like nirvana or whatever because it has like game of death (laughs) and it's got uh what is there is there's another uh the inglorious bastards which is where he got the title uh for his uh for that movie um Drunken Master, yeah, was the oh, other. Oh, Drunken one that Master, out. that's great. So it seems like, uh, like this is probably where like Tarantino's wheelhouse was. Nineteen seventy-eight, yeah, or whatever. A lot of these movies I have not seen, but I know that he cited them before. Yeah, yeah, sure. So anyway, that's
2: that's what. So I, what
0: is your pick, Jeremy? For all right, well, you years.
2: already picked, yeah. Um, and I'm going Superman. Um, and it's both because, as you said, I think in the last podcast, it's it's a really solid performance and solid superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Um you know i i think you have to consider the era in which it was made right i don't think it holds a candle to the dark knight we're not talking about we're talking about a different era but there's a nostalgia there and definitely cultural impact out the ass uh, as every modern superhero film owes something to Superman. Um,
1: so I'm going Superman, and uh, it's up to Chris. This is definitely going to be a three-way tie here because... You should have just stop with three. Yeah, I was, I was about to. You'll hear the hitch. Um, the uh, I'm going to say Halloween, um, and now we've got two horror movies competing mm-hmm. in each so. but, uh, but Halloween is, for me, what horror movies should strive to be, where there are things lurking on the edge of the frame and, and it's not just a whole bunch of like uh, jump scare moments. There are jump scare moments in Halloween, but the, the, the idea that he's always out there somewhere Mm -hmm. and the way that camera moves throughout is the way horror movies should be done. And, and after that it became, you know, it sort of inspired all the other stuff, the slasher movies after that, which is weird. They they took they looked at Halloween and said, "Let's make it where we have basically monsters going around, just let's finding the creative most creative ways to kill people yeah. that they can." And it just became like R-rated slash fest or whatever. But Halloween is
2: not that. It's, no, it's it's but suspense as much as anything.
1: Yeah, it's more suspense than it is like let's see like how creative we can get uh, showing someone dying, but. Um, that movie is genuinely frightening and scary and all that. So, I, I mean, and I can't think of anything better than this movie. All right. So,
2: then we have to go to second choices to determine what the best movie is. Yeah. All right. So, should we go in the same order?
0: Yeah. Um, I'm not going to put either of your movies as my second pick. Okay. <laughs> so, we may go a, a couple of rounds. You know, I, I think I have to settle on, not settle, but I, I think Grease has to be up there as my second one. Grease and Animal House would probably be... 2 and 2A for me. Okay. Because Animal House, you you can't... All of the screwball college comedies and the National Lampoon's kind of brand came out of of that sort of mentality. So I think it was incredibly influential. It's incredibly rewatchable. Uh, There's a lot of crimes. There's a lot of uh, drunken frivolity. There's Belushi. There's just... Uh, I believe Donald Sutherland is also in that, showing his ass. (laughs) He is, yeah, he is. Um, So, yeah, I mean, so, all right, I'm rethinking it. I would put uh, Animal House as number two and Grease as number three. Okay.
2: All right, well, um, I'm putting Invasion of the Body Snatchers number two, and I'm putting Animal House three.
1: Okay, okay.
2: Well, then... This is going to get muddy. Well, and
1: I'm also (laughs) going to put Animal House two, which also might, by default, make Animal House the number one movie, because... Two, we two have slots none of area. us have said each other's number one as our two. That's true. So mm. it might have enough second place votes to make the number one here.
2: And if we break out the electoral math, um, <laughs> it might be right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> may have to do it with
1: the electoral <laughs> math, or we may have to, you know, leave it up to uh, Twitter to decide. Nah. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think we're going to take a stance here. I, I'm, I mean, I think we all said Animal House. Yeah, so. yeah. I think that's a fair and, way to decide. And it's second place votes are going to pass all the other ones.
2: And there is, especially listening to Barrett talk about it just a second ago, there's just so much ode to that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, even Neighbors 2, which is now right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. would not exist without Animal House. Yeah. Right. So, um old school, uh, well, that's PCU, what, all yeah, of them. I
1: credit old school with getting us back to that R rated yeah. comedy because like all through the 90s, we, I mean, you had Kevin Smith stuff, but you had mostly like a lot of like watered down PG 13, um, Comedies and then, ro- you know, road trip and old school and all yep. that started coming, making it come back and everything. And that's where we got Judd Apatow come back yep. and all this other stuff. So, um, yeah, it all owes it to Animal House, really. Which mm-hmm. I
2: don't think the Academy gave best picture to. The deer. <laughs>
1: they did not. <laughs> they gave best picture to Deer Hunter. And, uh, that's right. That's right. And that uh, other
2: screwball comedy. That screwball the
1: comedy, The Deer Hunter. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure that almost everybody who's listening to this is like, Oh my god, the deer hunter's so great and I I man, I can't be with I can't stand with you on yeah, that.
2: Yeah. And uh, also we somehow didn't pick Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I'm not bitter, uh, even though it was my first choice. I'm just saying there will be fans who will be shocked yeah. if we did not pick Superman.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the way this this, you know, this uh silly round robin type thing goes here. Right. We can't if you can't agree on something, we're gonna have to go with the one that's more off sighted. Yep, yep. So uh uh, Animal House wins over Deer Hunter that's right. Yeah, you heard yeah. it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first from <laughs> 1978. Yeah, exactly. Breaking news. <laughs> uh so now we're going to get into uh I guess a loaded topic as
0: I could probably go on forever on this. Mm-hmm. Well it's it's directors with the most variants in their careers. Most variants in their careers yes, that that have just the widest span of work. My name is Marty DeBurger. I'm a filmmaker.
2: I'm the director, Shaka Luther King, that's who the fuck I am. Filmmaking is not about the tiny details, it's about the big picture. I have one in my back pocket that I've talked about before with friends, and that's Rob Reiner. Who? Um, who has done uh, romantic comedy. He's done um, serious military courtroom drama. Um, Rob Reiner is my first vote. Well, yeah, he
1: had, like, this is Spinal Tap, and yep. he had uh, A Few Good Men, and he had uh, When Here He Met Sally. hmm. Um, and then, then he had that, you know, he did, he, he had one of the biggest winning streaks going for a really long time. Cause he did this is Spinal Tap, all those like in a row, when Harry met Sally, a few good men and all that. And then he had North, one of the worst <laughs> movies ever that came out. And then he started making a lot of just like, you know, the ghost of Mississippi and, um, what was the uh, one after that? Oh, he did the American president, which was uh-huh. really good. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, uh, what else and then, but yeah, so the story of us, which wasn't very
2: back back in the wheelhouse days yeah. this is the this is the run I always spinal tap and we got the sure thing after that, which I could do without mm-hmm. Stand by me, yeah Princess Oof. Bride when Harry met Sally misery, oh, a few God. good men
1: yeah yeah oh my God, and all that's those so are cool. like real different movies
2: that's yeah, so that's I'm saying' yeah, yeah, like, yeah. genre hops like crazy yeah and and they're all high quality mm-hmm. it was it's a great run of excellence but also a great little five movie run to illustrate you know, how varied his tastes are as a director. Yeah. another one that I think you and I've talked about before, not in the podcast, is uh, "I shouldn't have smoked so much pot on 420." Um, <laughs> Danny Boyle. Oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because he's done sci-fi, he's done train spotting, he's done slumdog millionaire. I feel like genre-wise. he's all over the place, mm-hmm. and I love it. I love it. Yeah. What else? anybody else? That was a quick conversation.
1: <laughs> um, I was going to say John Favreau. Oh, um, nice one. Good call. John Favreau, uh, I believe his debut was Made, which was sort of the mm-hmm. the kind of pseudo follow-up to Swingers, even though it wasn't really like the same characters or anything like that. But it was him mm-hmm. and Vince Vaughn in a, like, a gangster comedy, like take off of The Sopranos type of thing.
0: Featured uh, Puff Daddy, right? It
1: did. It did. Um, but Maid was his was his first one, and then he did Elf. Oh yeah, um, which you know, like you, what you know, like, <laughs> you would never expect a John Favreau to be on such a yeah. like a, a movie like a, a Will Ferrell comedy, you know. Um, he then he did a movie called Zathura, which I I, I didn't really like, but mm-hmm. I was. Uh, when uh, with this stuff with the jungle book that, you know, when it came out and everything, somebody was like somebody thought that was like underrated or whatever. I remember watching it and I did not feel like it deserved much rating. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, but, uh, you know, there might be a, a fan. There might be a few fans of that. Uh, then Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, that came out of nowhere. Yeah. Like when I first saw that, I was like, oh, c- come on. Like, do you, are you really taking this seriously now? And then you watch it, you're like, well, I guess I was done. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> he also did Cowboys versus Aliens, which wasn't a good movie at all. Um, looked pretty. But, I mean, you're talking about, like, this is going all over the map here.
2: Elf, Iron Man. Well, and then most recently, Chef.
1: Yeah, and then he did Chef before just, just Jungle Book or whatever. Um, but, yeah, Chef, a nice little quiet, like, awesome food movie and everything. And then yeah, Jungle Book, which is you know, ah, I don't like it, but uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it's a definitely a different movie for Everybody him. Everybody else did, yeah, yeah. So um, so yeah, I mean, Favreau has one of those. It, it's just you know, he's a I guess he's a director for hire almost, but uh, he's he's definitely somebody that studios trust and go to. Yeah, absolutely uh, for anything. So. Man
0: I, yeah I should have because the the idea is is directors that have such a varying degree of of their their scope of work and Danny Boyle is a perfect example of that and I was thinking one of my favorite directors even though all the controversy and everything is Roman Polanski yeah mm-hmm. Polanski on the face of it he does do very different films like he did uh Rosemary's Baby of mm-hmm, course mm-hmm. uh which was this weird suspense atmospheric uh horror type of thing and then he did Chinatown mm-hmm, yeah. uh which which is is definitely you know uh, not the same film and uh you know he did other things later on like uh he did Macbeth at, at some point which is a great version of Macbeth he did this movie co- uh, with uh, Johnny Depp called The Ninth Gate mm-hmm. uh that was really good but but he's kind of got this uh this consistent underpinning of like moody and atmosphere and that kind of thing although i haven't said that like there are some directors where and even spielberg is like this where you can point to it and say like that's a spielberg movie yeah yeah. like even if you didn't know it you could probably say like oh that was probably him and polanski you, know, you can probably make that argument but one person that doesn't come up you know in the whole scorsese spielberg conversation as much as I think is Francis Ford Coppola mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. who has this incredible array of stuff obviously he did The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 and Apocalypse Now like it just between those it's a huge variance, and then you throw right in the
1: conversation into the in the middle of that too which is completely different um, movie, I, I, it was funny just as an aside like uh, that show Billions, its finale was called The Conversation. Oh, really? And it had like a, a moment where somebody ha- is going around looking for bugs and tearing the place apart and oh. everything. And uh, and it was a really you know like awesome, like titled thing. Because I was wondering, is are they did they title this because of the movie? <laughs> and sure enough, by the end, they were like, oh, yeah, they, awesome. they did a little a little awesome. uh, take on it, anyway.
0: That's awesome, but yeah, I think Coppola, you know, because now he's he's into wine, and uh, I guess I don't even know what the the last movie he did uh, something fairly recent. Uh,
1: I think it was Youth without Youth, but yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm not, I'm not certain on that.
0: Um, and his daughter has now become probably the the more famous, currently famous Coppola director at this point.
1: Although, yeah, I think she started off that way, and she sort of tapered off after lost in translation. She did Marie Antoinette and
2: bling ring and bling mm. ring. And,
1: and, uh, there was another okay. one. He real slow type of, uh, lost in translation, virgin suicides type movie. that was the first movie that she did, but like she started off virgin suicides, lost in translation. And then everything else after that has been kind of a, mm. eh, that's not what I don't really like those that much. Bling rings. Okay. Um, Marie Antoinette looks amazing. It's yeah. just not a great movie.
2: Um, I'm going to throw out Steven Soderbergh. Mm, Yeah, that's a perfect one. Because he's done violence with the Limey. He's done serious drama with Traffic. He's done heist movies with the Oceans films. Um, He's done straight-up comedy with the Informant. Um, And then he did Magic Mike. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And and the Girlfriend Experience... uh, this guy is a guy with lots of different tastes, and he's not scared to explore them. Uh, Solaris. Uh, if you, I mean, there may be certain things that Soderbergh does, but it's it'd be hard for me to say that's a Soderbergh movie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. D- even though the well, camera work is often similar, that the tone is different it's so wildly.
1: There was a, a period of time there where his, the editing style, and this could be more of a tribute to his editor than anything, but Out of Sight. And uh, Aaron Brockovich and Traffic and all those movies had that, that odd jump, scut, jump cut style to it. You know, like, oh, okay, that's Soderbergh. Mm-hmm. And I think even he probably just like, I want to do something different. So he just like, he, he changed it up after that. He just yeah. stopped doing that as much or whatever. He might also be the guy who really launched that indie movie, movement in the 90s mm-hmm. with Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Um, that was the movie that sort of launched everybody's like, I can make a movie, you know, I can do it for really cheap and everything. And that's what we started seeing in those early nineties days with Tarantino mm-hmm. and, and, and Kevin Smith and all these guys. Um, Soderbergh, if you, yeah, if you look at his IMDb credits, it's nothing but just all sorts of different stuff. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll
0: give you a perfect example of Soderbergh and how genius he is. He took a very basic script. a movie called Side Effects yeah and put a very interesting take on it like he got the best performances out of his his actors and like just told the story so beautifully to where you can really take something you know fairly straightforward and really like turn it on its head
2: yeah yeah um I got another one. Unless yeah, else go has, ahead. Uh, Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. In terms of tone and style, they've done everything that I just named for Soderbergh, from gritty crime all the way up to straight yeah. comedy.
1: I will say that the you can uh, you can pretty much tell what a Coen Brothers movie is. Um, that that would be my only disagreement with this is that no matter what genre they go into, there's always a style and a way of their comedy that gets into everything that that you know that. I can tell that's a Coen Brothers movie mm. or whatever. Um, uh, even in something as as innocuous as Intolerable Cruelty, which has that the one scene where there's like the old guy and the tax accountant or whatever—I don't know what it is. I don't know if you guys remember seeing that movie at all. No. But it from my like, memory. it's a guy who it, you know there's like a there's like these scenes that they cut to, and he's it's, it reminds me so much of Hudsucker Proxy, mm. the way this guy's like typing stuff and he's like saying stuff and all that. Um, even Bridge of Spies, which they wrote. Has like, there's a quintessential Coen Brothers like scene written into that. Like, wow. you know, like I could tell that was them. Um, but, um, but yeah, as far as like genres are concerned, sure, like Miller's Crossing and and Barton Fink yeah. and uh, and like uh, Fargo and Raising Arizona and all mm-hmm. that, but but they do focus a lot on crime. And, and whatever. So I, I wouldn't personally include him, but they do have a lot of, like, different stuff. They have the ability
2: to be, like, you know... What about um, Zemeckis? Yeah, mm. Zemeckis, definitely. He's had a long career, and it, it, as I the, this movie starts springing to my mind, you've got everything from Back to the Future to The Frighteners and What Lies Beneath and mm-hmm. Flight... Cast Away. Yeah. Like he, I feel like he... Just likes all stories. <laughs> yeah. Sure, I'll direct that. But yeah, <laughs> I, and I think he's good. I'm not trying to make it sound like he's just taking a paycheck. Um, but you can't you can't tell me that something sounds or looks like a Zemeckis film, no. Right now, you could have maybe back in the late '80s um, when he made the Back to the Future movies and Roger Rabbit and all this stuff, um, but. Not since he's gone, I think almost very intentionally out of his way to to vary his resume.
1: Yeah, and he also has tried to be that he there was this long. I don't know if this is true or not. There's this uh, thought that he had a sort of a rivalry with James Cameron, trying to always top him as far as technology in movies is concerned. So, like Polar Express was like one of the first like motion capture animation hmm. movies, and then he did it again with a Christmas Carol. Um, you know, and, and they've had varying degrees of success and everything. And he's never like made that movie that, you know, people are like, you know, going and seeing in droves like Avatar, which I'll still never, I'll never understand. But, um, but he's never had that type of movie that, you know, where I've, I've, i found the technology that yeah. is going to get everybody, you know. Uh, but yeah, Zemeckis, uh, extremely varied and interesting career.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Kubrick. Yeah. 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 Kubrick uh, is my absolute favorite director. And you look at the difference between, like, The Shining, which talked about ad nauseum at this point, um, and Doctor Strangelove, mm. Um, mm. and something like Eyes Wide Shut, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. And the whole thing just goes on and on and on. Like, I, I can watch any Kubrick movie, and it's a totally immersive and different experience. I guess the the similarities are the the pacing and things like that. Um, And the deliberateness of that. Um, but otherwise, like, you're just thrown into a whole different experience each time that you, you watch a Kubrick movie.
1: And uh, a lot of times it's forgotten because uh, I think a lot of people really believe that Kubrick became Kubrick when it was, like, 2001 and everything. Dr. Strangelove is now, you know, is thrown into there. But he's also the director of Spartacus. Mm-hmm. And he's the director of The Killing and, like, oh, all and, yeah. and, you know, and, and Lolita, which is, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, I don't think a movie you can really make today. Although they did make a remake in the 90s or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, we forget a lot about that early cluster of movies that he did before Dr. Strangelove and those were all interesting and varied movies too, yeah. you know, but then it was 2001 where he really became like Kubrick, you know, 2001 Clockwork Orange and, uh, Barry Lyndon. And, uh, <laughs> 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 you know what? We I think we mentioned Barry Lyndon in every podcast. <laughs> This will be like what we thought we'd do with Kenneth Branagh at the beginning. We're going to mention find some way to mention Barry Lyndon. Maybe a
2: good way to look at this topic would be Ridley Scott and Tony Scott. Yeah. Because (laughs) Tony Scott movies all felt the same to me. I liked them, but they were always machismo, tough guy, action films that followed the plan. Whereas Ridley... Again, uses some of the same techniques, but seems to be drawn to all sorts of different kinds of stories and t- types yeah. of feeling movies.
1: Yeah, I don't. I, I mean that that guy, and he makes a movie almost every year. He's he does. like seventy something. Yeah,
2: he's prolific. Yeah,
1: um, uh, Tony Scott. The thing for him, I always felt like Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer were the reason why a lot of his movies were the same. And then once he broke from that and everything, I think it started getting, I don't know, it started getting a little bit grittier or whatever, but uh, when he was with the Don Simpson-Jerry Brookhine, that's where you get Top Gun and Days of Thunder and yep. uh, all these movies that seemed like the same movie. Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide, yeah. A lot of
0: fast-moving objects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, uh, and, I don't know, strangely enough, I really liked Tony Scott, and he does a... A genre and a style that's very much like Michael Bay. I think he gave birth to Michael Bay. Simpson and Bruckheimer basically gave, gave birth to Michael Bay. Uh, but Tony Scott, uh, somehow, some way, I mean, you know, he did true romance too. Um, Tony Scott somehow made it. Palatable, you know, where they yeah. didn't or whatever. But but Ridley Scott, yeah, the guy Black Hawk Down, yeah, and uh, what else? He had two in one year. Oh, he had he did uh, Hannibal as well. Uh. He did that. <laughs> um, uh, but those were two completely different movies, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, and but he did a lot of you know he did Gladiator and Kingdom of Heaven. Those kind of run didn't together.
2: He do, uh, Egypt gods and kings or whatever. Yeah, think? he did. So he yeah. has a he has that he
1: has that epic. series <laughs> of uh, you know BC movies or whatever. He was just trying to check the
0: box. Yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost shocking he didn't do this Ben Hur remake, which looks exactly note for note everything he's done. But he
2: did Matchstick Men, right? He did, he did. Oh, he oh, has yeah. small, Matchstick Small. Matchstick Man is a really good movie. Yeah, it's great. Yeah,
1: it's one of the few like when you know when you want to talk about like Nicolas Cage is an awful actor that's one of the movies that you can cite is uh, that's he disproves it right there he's great He's great that he's like got like a bunch of great roles in Matt Stickman's one.
0: I think you can make a case for for Richard Lankletter. Because I Almost oh, named him. Well, no, yeah, for sure. You yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, so Linkletter came onto the scene with Slacker, yep. which is your you know quintessential made for nothing independent movie. Mm. He translated that into Days and Confused, which is one of the best movies you'll see about you know being at that that time of your life, seeing mm. like high school and everything. One of the best movies you'll ever see that way. But then he's he'll he'll make some genre movies like he made the Newton Boys nobody remembers the Newton Mm -hmm. Boys but he did School of Rock Mm -hmm. and then he did the bad 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 news Bears remake Um, (laughs) but he also did like these amazing animation movies like Waking Life and the Scanner Darkly and uh, and then
0: he did Boyhood he
1: did Boyhood which is
2: wildly different yeah
1: completely different well and that was another like yeah. When I heard about him doing this I was like that's exactly the director who would be doing this you know like I'm going to make a movie and I'm going to show the same actor aging for 12 years yeah. or whatever. He's like I'm going to make a movie that takes 12 years to make yeah. you know. In the meantime he does this trilogy of right. Fantastic Before Sunrise Sunset Midnight movies. They're all good. They're how all in the good. world how in the world is that possible? You don't see 3 movies that are good in a in any kind of trilogy. Uh, ever and he made them over a span of twenty years. These three movies are all great, um, and I'm forgetting like some. He's made a million movies, like Suburbia and yeah. um, what else was there? Um,
0: everybody wants everybody some, wants some, which I haven't which is seen the spiritual, yet. Spiritual, uh, yeah, uh, antecedent of Dazed and Confused. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, School of
0: Rock was really the the outlier there because yeah. it was just this. Obviously, mostly because of Jack Black, but it, it, it was just this. This broad slapstick comedy that really just got the best of, of, you know, because I guess it's involving kids and it has this lovable actor and everything. It's has Mike such White a home run of a movie. Yeah, I no, it's I so mean, it's so good.
2: It hits all the beats that it needs to hit. Mm mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, no, it's great.
1: And you might be hard pressed to find somebody who's got that many movies out that has not really. He's only missed only two or three times out of it. He's made you know countless movies at this point Hmm. well he could count them but like um but he's made a lot of movies is what i'm trying to say i'm done counting yeah done counting after 20 i'm done um but uh he uh he's made so many movies but there's like only like you know you have a bad news bears you have a newton boys in there but uh yeah um he also made that movie Tape, which had Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, Numa Numa Thurman, ah. in the hotel room. In the hotel room, ah, it's great. Yeah, good. Really, really good movie. Um, uh, and it, and it's so the way everything pans pans out in that movie, is so unexpected. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're like, okay, well, I know where this is going, and then like all the characters just like there's some revelations that show up in that movie. And they're like, you know that that's a really interesting one.
2: I don't know when I'll have a chance to talk about this guy, so I'm going to shoehorn into this discussion, but uh, Phil Alden Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Guy that directed Sneakers, a movie Mm -hmm. we've talked about a lot um, that you should watch. Uh, Also, Field of Dreams. Mm -hmm. Two very different movies with very similar soundtracks. Um, (laughs) Then he dropped off the face of the earth for like 11 years and comes back to make a a Band of Brothers episode. (laughs) Then he makes The Sum of All Fears with Ben Affleck. (laughs) And then he's basically disappeared again. He, yeah. He's doing uh, <laughs> episodes of The Good Wife or something now. Yeah, that's really, like,
1: what, yeah, what happened with that guy? And then every time I've I've looked him up, I've never found, like, a real reason.
2: Right, like with McTiernan, he went to prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and then he came back and made more movies. Yeah, but yeah. this guy didn't go to prison. <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, I don't know, I don't, I'm, I'm curious about it. Because those first two, Field of Dreams and Sneakers, are just so, such home runs. Yeah. That, you know, I wonder what, what, what did we miss out on in that 11 year gap that he just didn't make? And
1: I'm, and, and I don't know, this is probably a discussion for another type of podcast, but there, there are a lot of those type of directors like, uh, Stacey Title, who did The Last Supper, the, uh, mm. the movie about mm. the liberals bringing back mm. conservatives for dinner and killing them, um, that Stacey Title did that movie. And now, now I wouldn't, I don't know if you necessarily consider that a director's dream of a movie or anything, but to con—to have all those actors all at once and make a really good movie out of it and everything is, it's got to count for something for sure. Mm-hmm. And then she disappeared off the face of the earth. Now she's making, there's a horror movie coming out this summer that uh, I can't remember the name of, but I saw the trailer for it and it doesn't look very good. But she's been gone for more than 20 years.
2: What's uh, she been doing?
1: I I don't know. What and about Catherine Bigelow?
0: I was just gonna say that actually.
1: Yeah, Catherine Bigelow's made some some different ones. Although Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty are basically in that yeah, same. Yeah, but
2: Strange Days is wildly Strange different than Days those two is movies. Very different.
1: Point Break.
2: K nineteen.
1: Yeah, K nineteen, the Widowmaker.
2: <laughs> it's the it's the submarine movie I watched the least. <laughs> that and U five seven one. By the way, try to
0: show up very drunk in a movie theater and try to get tickets for U five seven one. Get that out of your mouth because it wasn't. Well, I told happening. you
2: the story about how Josh and I always used to order movie tickets at the theater by pronouncing the title wrong on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I told you that story. So like when we went to Species, he went up and he goes, one for Speckies, please. <laughs> and we went back to the same theater when Species 2 came out. <laughs> he goes, one for Speckies 2, please. <laughs> um, I don't remember what came between, though. Between the '80s stuff and Strange Days, and then Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, what yeah, did she
1: make? Yeah, and I'm sure she's done a couple other movies that we've heard of, but we just never attribute. This is
2: going to be a weird podcast. Well, it's fun. We're exploring as yeah. we go. It's, it's, we can't we can't name the Tarantino's and the Spielberg's because yeah. they don't fit the criteria. No. and so you know we have to we have to throw some out to figure yeah. out who works and who doesn't. Yeah, Fincher, I don't think works um, stylistically yeah. and tonally. It's too similar. Yeah. Um. Ben Affleck doesn't work. He's made three kick-ass films, but they all feel like the work of the same director mm-hmm. and, the, and the same basic serious drama take. Yeah. Um, Kevin Smith. You know Kevin when Smith. you're watching yeah. a Kevin Actually, Smith movie. Kevin Smith is... I don't think... I think he fits.
0: You think, well, not anymore. Yeah, I guess after the, the 90s he started... Well, yeah. A now he's yeah. made Red the State, horror Woolworths
2: movie yeah. and now he's making a, a tween yoga hosers movie for teenagers. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think he fits because he's. I mean, you know, when you're listening to Kevin Smith dialogue, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I, and that's his greatest strength. But I, I think from movie to movie, they're they're pretty different in terms of at least topic, not necessarily tone all the time. Because he was straight R-rated comedy for the first ten years or whatever. Yeah, You'd probably lump all those in together, but.
0: I don't know. I think he might fit. There was definitely a tonal shift between Mallrats and Chasing Amy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, sure. That was, that was a big leap. Well, and, and yeah,
1: Chasing Amy was his sort of attempt to make a more grown-up movie, even though he did still put in a lot of little childish things mm. and whatever. And uh, then he tried to do the same thing with Jersey Girl, which mm-hmm. unfortunately got uh, caught up in the whole Ben Affleck, J-Lo mess, even though J-Lo's in it for five minutes. Right. Um, she, uh, and came, herself
2: out of there, right? Real quick. Yes.
1: <laughs> and Geely came out yeah, the same year. So
2: already he's getting pounded on that. Mm. So, um, but if you watch that movie totally again, that it's got George Carlin in it. So there are moments, but uh, totally it's really sweet. Like it's, he's going yeah, for something it's completely TV different. 13, yeah, do you? Yeah. yeah. So I think um, he might fit somehow, some there. way,
1: like a, like a square peg in a round hole uh-huh. or whatever. Um, uh, what else do we have here?
2: Um, so, well, I, I love Brad Bird, but I, he can't—he can't fit. Yeah, all of his movies are family fun and adventures. Maybe not
1: enough to films, I right? Mean, and that's
2: right. the other problem is that there's plenty of directors that.
1: Okay, well, how about Spike Lee? Spike Lee has made a lot of varying movies. Mm-hmm. Um, do the right thing, Malcolm X. Uh, obviously, I mean, do the right thing and Malcolm X are not the same anyway. In any, in any, yeah. are yeah. but they are racially charged mm-hmm. movies. Um, But do the right thing, and both both of those movies are fantastic, by the way. And I was thinking about uh, Spike Lee the other day, how many movies I love of his, even though he's only made like a couple of movies people consider classics, like Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X. But I love the 25th Hour Mm -hmm. with Edward Norton. Yeah, that movie is a real really good. I love He Got Game. Like Uh as as as, I've seen that movie a billion times. Mm -hmm. Um. What else is there on Inside Man? Inside Man. That, yeah. And and, that, and you're talking about like the guy has gone from super like low budget movies and stuff like that to something as uh, slick and produced as Inside Man. Um,
2: Inside Man could be a Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel like a Spike Lee movie at, at all.
1: Yeah. And uh, and and I mean he knocks that out of the park. And uh, and. Summer of Sam does have the stupid talking dog scene or whatever. I think it was a talking dog.
0: Yeah, yeah, but that movie but your is your made Homer. Yeah yeah, 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 but I
1: actually like the I like the dynamic of Summer of Sam. Um, that
0: movie is very misunderstood. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, because it,
1: well, here's the problem: when you make a movie about the son of Sam that doesn't include the son of Sam. Then you've got it's it's like that argument well not argument but it's like that thing we were talking about with the with sorcerer you got William Uh Friedkin's sorcerer you know like he here's the director of the Exorcist coming out with this obviously magician movie that's horror (laughs) you know horrific and uh, no it's an adventure movie Um, uh, yeah it's the same sort of thing Summer of Sam but it's really more about the people and their paranoia during the Son of Sam I got one yep Ron Howard. Yeah, Oof. Ron Howard
2: capped. Because he did Splash.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And more recently, he's doing the, that racing drama. In the middle, uh-huh. we had Apollo 13, Backdraft. A Beautiful Mind. I think, I mean, I yeah, I just, I feel like he's got a lot of varied interests. And before,
1: mm. before Ron Howard, that we know, like, he did Willow, mm-hmm. and he did mm-hmm. The Night Shift, mm-hmm. and um, he did Parenthood. Oh, yeah. He made uh, the paper, didn't he? He made the paper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Howard's always been sort of a weird director for me because I know he's capable of, like, greatness. But a lot of times his movies don't hit that. But Apollo 13 and Cinderella Man, those are great movies. The paper's an underrated one. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, there's a lot of those in there. You're like, ah, Ron Howard. What was that one he did with Ed Harris? No, it was Tommy Lee Jones.
2: The Missing. The Missing. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. King Blanchett?
1: Yeah, and it's got uh, Evan Rachel Wood in it. Yeah um that movie was one i just really wanted to love. love and i couldn't and uh but he's made a lot of like fun movies and a lot of good movies and yeah he's all over the map there comedy drama um and he's made a few fantasy movies he made uh cocoon oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah
2: um, um, the precursor to Batteries Not Included. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, which I saw in theaters. I saw Batteries Not Included.
2: Yeah. That's hilarious. Wow.
1: It's the
0: only
2: time that movie has been referred to. I, I can't ever hear Cocoon without immediately thinking Batteries Not Included. Because, yeah, it has that linked. same kind of theme to it. Yeah, and it, I think they
1: both have... Don't they both have... Um, Don Amici in it? <laughs> Probably. I think so. <laughs> Don Amici? I think... I, oh, I have to look this up because now I'm looking... I'm going to be looking stupid on that. Sports no, famous. Hume Cronin
2: was in both movies. Oh, wow. That sounds like a medical condition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got Hume Cronin.
1: <laughs> He's got Epstein-Barr with a twist of line. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Call it a Hume <laughs>
1: And yeah, it probably has because Spielberg and Kennedy Marshall and all these guys were producers on that and I think they were all producers on Cocoon as well. Because yeah, when you said that, that seemed very logical to me that those follow each <laughs> other some way in spirit even though they don't really. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's do some questions. Yeah, okay. Question. Question. I got something to say. I, I want, want the truth.
2: truth. I am listening. Right. Um, so... This this one might take up all of our question time because it's so rich a topic, but um, what's the best sports movie? Which is, uh, mm. this is probably of all of the wasting time musing about movies, this is probably what I think about the most, mm. what, what sports movies I think are the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we've talked about several, um, and of course, then there's always the issue of, does something like Field of Dreams count as a sports movie yeah. or not? Or Teen Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> teen Wolf counts more than Field of Dreams because Teen Wolf, they actually show a bunch of basketball in that movie. Right. Um, what do you guys think? I'm, I, I'm partial these days uh, to Field of Dreams and Tin Cup, if, if Field of Dreams is accepted as a sports movie. And uh, if it's not, I'll, I'll just go Tin Cup. I know you love The Natural. Mm-hmm. Um there seems to be a lot of people who always answer this question with Major League, mm-hmm. and I want to kill those people, <laughs> because I think you can enjoy Major League, but that's not a great movie. Yeah. Um,
1: no, uh, I mean, I I, I, I enjoy it. As a as a comedy and everything, but like if you ask me best sports movies and everything, I'm never going to come up with Major League. Right. You would um, go to Bull Durham
2: before you went to Major
1: League. Right. Which is one I was gonna I was gonna mention that Bull Durham is is in there, and I would also mention Ten Cup just because that movie's just so fun and everything. The Natural is definitely going to be in that list because um, that's the reason why I love baseball is just is because of stuff like that. And when I grew up. All the World Series that were going on in the yeah. mid '80s had those kind of dramatics. Oh, Kurt, no. Gibson Kurt Gibson home, Gibson home run, run. Yep. Um, and uh, a lot of these series went seven games and stuff like that. And the natural was just sort of a, an, you know, a reinforcement of why you loved baseball, even though it was a, you know, a little bit on the fantastic side and everything, hitting the lights and smashing <laughs> and making fireworks display go off and all mm. that. Um, I was thinking of this you know, when we were trying to come up with a sports movie to do uh, for our, you know, when we had Fanduel and everything. Uh, you know, obviously Rocky's going to be in there too. We were—I was thinking actually maybe t- possibly doing Rocky, but I was thinking there's not really any great football movies. Like I disagree. No, uh, hold on a second. Like the ones that are considered that I don't know. Like what what would you consider
0: a great football movie? Well, we were actually Chris and I were texting about this not too long ago, <clears throat> because I was watching the end of um, Any Given Sunday. Any Given Sunday. I can't stand that movie uh, because it gets so many things wrong. But it, it gets really good performances and really good scenes, really good nuggets in there, uh, and conceptually it's really strong. But the execution of it is just very grating to me, mm. with all the flashbacks and all the the weird editing interspersed with it, and just the over the topness and stuff like that. Uh, you mean the Oliver Stoneness? The Oliver mm-hmm. uh is what gets to me. But and and that kind of got me thinking because it is hard. Directors can't get football right typically. But one that that actually did get it right for me was Remember the Titans. And mm. Remember the Titans just
2: everybody, as... Chris just grimaced.
0: <laughs> just from and it's it's less about the football, but it's more about the the totality of everything and the training. And the stuff that that has to come together for mm. team building, which is such a huge part. and the
2: erase, erasing of racism, exactly. Well, yeah. it's, it's done. Right? One yeah. of the things I love about that, yeah, by the way, uh, if you watch Remember the Titans, I like I think it's a good movie. Uh, that movie is filled with people who went on to be huge actors. Yes, yeah, like yeah. the guy from The Wire and Ryan Gosling. Like the movie is full of people yeah. who went really, on to really, really like fame. like
1: baby Hayden <laughs> Panettiere. <Yep>. Yeah, um, <laughs> the uh, I, I, okay, I will take that back. Remembering Remember the Titans is pretty good. Friday Night Lights is is probably one of your one of your better football movies but it, that's the thing about it is that it's so hard to make them right because you can't just I don't know you can't just throw a bunch of stunt guys out there and and make football look right and you can't make a bunch of actors go out there and yeah. make football look right it really goes for a lot of sports movies too like you know like I was talking about with The Natural was that you know Redford hits a clear pop up or whatever and it's like a home considered a home run and uh and I remember when uh Wesley Snipes was doing The Fan uh-huh. I think John Kruk was a like baseball uh, like a uh, consultant on that movie, and he's like, Wesley Snipes would never be able to hit a baseball <laughs> with this swing, you know, but it, it sort of happens on a lot of these movies, because it's hard to get sports right, you
2: have to get, you well, have to get, that's why he got game, went and got Ray Allen, yeah, 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 yeah. A, a real athlete, and his acting is terrible in that, <laughs> yeah, <movie>. yeah <laughs> right, right, and but the uh, basketball is authentic, yeah,
1: and so it's hard to make those movies, just because it's hard to replicate those sports yeah in, in a realistic way and, then, and then Sunday does it where it's like every hit is a crunching <laughs> you know like career ending hit yeah well,
0: okay so my point is is that it gets if you use sports as a facilitator for the broader story and this here's another example about a football movie that wasn't really a football movie it's varsity blues yeah 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 and I love varsity blues and I can watch it anytime it's on and football I mean I don't, I don't want to watch James Vanderby pretend to throw a football. Like I'm I, it, it's it's gross to watch, but still, you know, the the whole uh, mechanism that it, that it puts into place and you know, the relationships especially in high school. That's why Friday Night Lights, the show, the TV show did so well is that it used football as kind of this narrative uh, engine mm-hmm. to kind of drive all of the the discord and the relationships and all that stuff. And that's what I like about that's that's when a football movie gets it right rather than any given Sunday where it uses everything else to get to a football scene, yeah, yeah I think that's where they miss them. Yeah, that's funny.
1: and there's so many. Uh, like, there's like a couple of older ones, like North Dallas Forty and the Longest mm-hmm. Yard, not mm-hmm. the Adam Sandler, but uh, but like they're they're pretty good movies. But like you don't go and like I gotta watch that again, you yeah. know, after you see it or anything. Um, but yeah, it's hard to get those sports movies right, and that's why I think stuff like baseball and boxing. That's why boxing always rules on these on these things like you know obviously you got to say rocky on these um uh it, I mean, you can focus on individuals and everything and it's there's a there's more especially 10 cup the golf that's yeah. you know as individual as it gets um when it gets to those type of things it's it's good but then when it's like these teams were like i guess slap shot's okay but yeah. I but it's like even slap shot i mean it's not really a hockey movie as mm-hmm. much as it's like you know uh just about paul newman and Him being drunk all
2: the time and, you know, banging women and stuff. I'm going to pull a sports movie out of my ass for you right now. Mm -hmm. The Sixth Man starring one of the Williams brothers in Kadeem (laughs) Hardison. Oh, my God. Wow, the Sixth Man. Kadeem Hardison dies. It's his brother. They're on the same college basketball team. And then comes back like Angels in the Outfield. (laughs) And helps the team win through ghostly activities. Nice. And there it is well,
1: and there that that was a huge genre for Disney, right? Angels in the outfield. And, um, I'm not being serious, by the way. That's yeah. a terrible movie. Yeah. You should never watch it. Um, but it has that scene. Sixth Man has that scene where like uh, he uh, who is it? Is it who's the main guy?
2: Who's, uh, it's either Sean or Marlon Wayans. I just don't remember which one. Okay. And Kadeem Hardison's the ghost. Yeah,
1: he's looking. He's like he's like at the urinal and he's like sitting. He's talking to Kadim yeah. Hardison and everything. And the white guy. I was like I had the same problem, thinking he's talking down to his penis, <laughs> and the, and the guy, and he turns around, and he's like, "Believe me, my problem's way bigger than
2: yours." <laughs> that's a,
1: that's the one redeeming moment of the six man um,
2: um, I like, uh, I probably shouldn't, but I like that movie, The Rookie, with uh, oh yeah, Dennis, what's his mm-hmm. name, Dennis Quaid. Yeah, and that was sort of the same. Remember the Titans? You know, feel good family mm-hmm. sports movie. We had a lot of those, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like we are Marshall, and when the game stands tall, and this it seems like every year we get some kind of flubber, schmaltzy, million <laughs> Air bud, I mean, Shaolin Soccer, yeah. Like, I, hey, hey, I, I
1: love Shaolin Soccer. I do too. That's a great movie. I do too. <laughs>
2: Well, then you have people who will probably argue that something like The Karate Kid is technically a sports movie. Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. I guess so. so.
2: And so it's a very subjective discussion because it's so wide. But if I had to pick one sports movie to put in a watch right now, it's going to be Tin Cup. Mm -hmm. There's no question. Yeah, can't argue with that. Yeah. We didn't even mention Hoosiers. Oh, Oh, Jesus.
1: What's wrong with us?
2: Hoosiers is awesome. Yeah. But I, I also wanted to talk about another one of my favorite lines from Tin Cup. <laughs> when he starts breaking all his clubs, and uh, the psychiatrist says to one of his friends, Is this normal behavior for him? <laughs> he says, He and normal don't often collide in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's answer another question. So, yeah, let's do another question. Um, all right, so the question is uh, what, what are some of our favorite movies about making movies? And uh, I know Chris talked about State and Maine uh, in a previous podcast. And I'm not lying when I tell you I've watched it three times since then. Because it keeps coming on HBO. Mm -hmm. And I always choose it over everything else because it's so funny from end to end. Uh, My very favorite overall movie about making movies is The Player. Yeah. Uh, Robert Altman. And it's really really about murder (laughs) more than making movies. But all the making movie stuff is so dead on and so authentic... Um, and hilarious um, that uh, I, I find that movie eminently rewatchable
1: yeah the, the I love the the opening uh, you know a one take in there where you have a guy pitching pitching the graduate to I think you have the original author of the book <laughs> pitching the sequel to the graduate and uh, you also have you know, you have Fred Ward sitting there talking about how great the opening one take in touch of evil is, uh-huh. but there's another guy coming up with all this other stuff that you, all these other movies you've never heard of that did that same type of thing. And he's like, but Fred Ward's like, Oh, I never heard of that, but touch of evil is really, you know, you know, and, you know not to, not to, uh, you know, uh, impugn touch of evil. Cause that's a great movie. But, um, I, I love the opening of that. Um, I'm, I, there's several, I mean, living in oblivion is probably, uh, if, if it's not the player then I'm going to, I'm going to say living in oblivion because, uh, Steve Buscemi is, is this is, you know, him as a director on an independent film and everything is going wrong and because mm-hmm. it's an independent movie, but it's, it's also like a series of, um, it's really, it doesn't. I mean, it, it starts off like it's a bunch of dreams or flat or like it's not real life until like later in the movie, but all the things that happen in those dreams are things that actually happen on independent movie sets, you know, that are that, that are that, um, because they don't have enough money and they have, uh, unprofessional actors a lot of times and, and, you know, not the best of their, uh, not the best of the best working on the thing, but Steve Buscemi is so funny, especially the scene where, uh, he's trying to get the best performance out of Catherine Keener and, and an, and, an older actor, an older actress. And, um, and like, they can't get it right. They can't get it right. And it's like, all right, let's take five. And then, while the cameras off, they proceed to do the best take ever, you know. And he and his blow up after that is just is is legendary to me. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, living in Oblivion is is definitely in that in that conversation for me.
0: Well, speaking of movies that Chris mentioned earlier, I think this is when we were talking about 1999. There's a independent movie called American Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where it's two friends from Wisconsin that. Uh, they get together and try to make this horror movie called Coven. Yeah. And due to their accents, they keep calling it Coven. And it's hilarious. It's it's this enthusiastic, crazy director that's just super into film and super into horror and stuff like that. And his sidekick that's nearly mute, if I, if I yeah. remember correctly. <laughs> And uh, just the enthusiasm of of getting this movie made with no money and no talent and no resources and everything was just awesome.
1: Yeah. And that has that has that one line, too, that I always go back to where, you know, if we've we've been accused of like not giving a movie a fair shake or something like that. There's that one line he says in there. He's like, it's like, no one in the history of movies has ever gone into a movie theater and, and, and watched something and, and, and then, you know, saw something that said, well, if we had this set of circumstances, we would have made this, we would have put that up on the screen there and it it would have been better. And nobody has ever thought like that movie's good because, you know, if only, if I can, I can imagine what it would have been like,
2: you know, um, another one I wanted to mention, I think I just brought it up. By title, when we last talked about State and Maine, but it is, uh, it's called The Last Shot mm-hmm. with Matthew Broderick and yeah. Alec Baldwin, who's yeah, also yeah. in State and Maine. Very tonally similar to State and Maine, just not quite as consistent with all the jokes. But it's basically Alec Baldwin's basically this government guy who is going to fake the p- production of a film to catch the mobsters and the Teamsters doing dirty stuff. Mm. And so he gets this patsy movie theater employee who wrote a script his name is steven shatz uh, <laughs> played by play matthew broderick and hires him to direct and broderick just doe-eyed buys it the whole way through and it's it's really funny i don't know if you've ever seen it uh i saw it on accident uh but very very much like state in maine uh lots of good uh industry jokes uh, witty banter uh and great performances.
1: Well, and in a weird way, we could also even include, even though I it, I guess it's somewhat cheating, but Argo into this. Oh. Um, nice. Even though it's not really about making movies, all the stuff before they actually go... Is about making is movies. Is about making movies. Okay and uh all the the cynical stuff about making movies and like uh, making the posters and like going and having fundraisers and table read yeah and the table read <laughs> and uh and uh you know and i and just you know the 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 general i love the argo fuck yourself and all that <laughs> but uh but uh i would also include, include that even though it's not really about making movies it does have a good section there no i think you're right Yeah. i agree well, that's the Sincast for this week. Uh, signing off, this is Chris Atkinson with Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit CinemaSins.com. We won't get any older, and we won't ever die. But I don't want your life. Uh, you the man, Roy. You the man. Oh, yeah. You are definitely the man.
2: We're going to change the way we run. We're going to change the way we eat. We're going to change the way we block. Vaughn into the wind-up in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed.